ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so continuing with بلوغ المرام we now in the chapter of the prayer باب شروط الصلاه the chapter concerning the conditions of the prayer. So, Al-Shaykh Saleh Al-Fawzan, Hafizahullah Ta'ala says at the beginning of this chapter, with regards to the title itself, Shurutu Salah, the conditions of the prayer. The word Shurut in the Arabic language, it is the plural of Shart. Shurut, Jam'u Shart. Washartu fi al-lugha al-alama. And this word Shart, in the language, in the Arabic language, it means a sign, something as a sign for something, as a signpost. Waminhu, and from that meaning you get the phrase Ashratu Sa'a, the signs of the hour. So the word which is used is Ashrat, which comes from this same root of Shart and Shurut that we are speaking about now, meaning like a sign. So the signs of the hour. Ashratu Sa'a, i.e. Alamatuha, it signs. And that is just like the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, فَقَدْ جَاءَ أَشْرَاطُهَا Indeed, the signs of it, or of the hour have come. Uh, and the shaykh says, أَشْرَاطُهَا يَعْنِي عَلَمَاتُهَا أَلَّتِي تَدُلُّ عَلَى وُقُوعِهَا i.e. the signs of the hour which would indicate and depict its occurrence. So the word shart and shurut, the plural of it, it indicates signs or something which is a sign about something. That is in the Arabic language. Then Islamically speaking, what does this word refer to specifically? Those scholars of the usul, the principles regarding fiqh and other affairs, then they have explained that the meaning of the word shart, which we translate as condition, is as they say, ما يلزم من عدمه العدم ولا يلزم من وجوده وجود ولا عدم لذاته وهو بعكس المانع. So the shart or the condition is something which necessitates in its absence the absence of the affair that is built upon it. Meaning, you have a condition for something to occur. If that condition doesn't occur, that condition doesn't exist, then the thing which would have occurred doesn't exist. Meaning, for example, purification. That is a condition for the prayer to be good and correct. If purification isn't there, a person hasn't got wudu, then is the prayer there? Then the prayer isn't there. It's not accepted without the wudu. So if the shart, the condition is missing, then the thing which is compounded upon it, then that will also be missing. So they say in the definition of a shart, it is something which, if it is missing, it necessitates that the thing which comes from it is also missing. So for example, if purification is missing, then the prayer is missing, it's not correct. Without wudu, then how can you pray? So the condition is missing, then that will necessitate that the thing which is built upon it is also missing. However, and this is the rest of the definition, that's the first part. Its absence necessitates the absence of that which compounds upon it. But at the same time, its presence does not necessitate that the thing which compounds upon it will be present or absent. Meaning, if somebody is in a state of purification, in a state of wudu, does he have to be praying? Not necessarily. Everybody sat here now with wudu, you're not praying. So the condition is there. You've got wudu. But the prayer, which is one of the things that compounds upon that condition, isn't there. That's okay. The fact that the condition exists and is present, doesn't necessitate that the thing which compounds upon it, must be present, or that it must be absent. That's not really linked. 
But the other way it is, if the condition is missing, then the thing which compounds upon it must also be missing. It's impossible to have it then. But if the condition is there, then the thing which compounds upon it may be there. You may be praying as a consequence of having the condition of wudu, or you may not be praying, even though you've got the condition of having wudu. So everybody understands the definition of what a condition is. Its absence necessitates the absence of that which compounds upon it. Its presence, however, does not necessitate that the thing which compounds upon it must be present, or in fact that it must be absent. That's not really linked. So that's a condition. Uh, to explain that further, the Shaykh says, فَشَرْطُ يَلْزَمُ مِنْ عَدَمِهِ الْعَدَمِ uh, if it is therefore absent, and then that would dictate the thing which compounds upon it is also absent. However, just because it is present, it doesn't necessitate that the thing which compounds upon it must be present. Uh, a sheikh gives some examples about that. He says, Iman. Iman is a condition for the entry of paradise. Al-Iman shartun lidukhul al-jannah. Iman is a condition for you to be able to enter paradise. So, based upon that then, if Iman was absent, then that would necessitate that the person is not going to enter paradise. If Iman is absent, Islam is absent, belief in Allah, Tawheed, everything is absent, the man is a kafir. So, the absence of the condition indicates the absence of that which compounds upon it. And the other example is obviously, as we are related to here, if purification is missing, it is absent. If that condition is gone, then that which compounds upon it is also absent and gone. You can't pray if you don't have the condition of purification present. So then the shaykh says, having understood what a condition is, shart in the Arabic language, he says the conditions of the prayer then, because the title of the chapter is the conditions of the prayer. وَشُرُوطُ الصَّلَاةِ The conditions of the prayer are those affairs, those things, that the prayer cannot be correct without them. They must be present. Because if they are absent, these conditions, then like we just said, that will necessitate the absence of the prayer, i.e. the incorrectness of it. So the conditions of the prayer are those things, the Shaykh is going to mention them now, those things that must be present for the prayer to be correct and accurate. And that's what we're going to discuss in this chapter. The conditions, the things which you must have in place for the prayer to be proper and correct. وَهِيَ قَبْلَهَا فَالشُّرُوطُ يَجِبُ أَن تَكُونَ مُتَوَفِّرَ قَبْلَ الصَّلَاةِ وَتَسْتَمِرُّ إِلَى الْفَرَاغِ مِنْهَا The conditions of the prayer, some of them, they begin before the actual prayer. The prayer begins with your takbir. Allahu Akbar. Your prayer begins. But some of the conditions of the prayer... They are already things that you need to establish prior to beginning the prayer. So some of the conditions of the prayer, they are prior to act the actual prayer itself. They are things that you need to have in place in order for the prayer to then be correct when you start. So the conditions of the prayer, they begin before the prayer itself. Certain things need to be in place before the actual prayer. And then they continue... During the prayer, there are certain conditions as well, and they continue till the end of the prayer. So a person shouldn't think that the conditions of the prayer are only things within the prayer. Conditions of the prayer are things that even start before the prayer. Certain things you need to have in place to make the prayer correct and accurate. That is in opposition to the arkan. The arkan of the prayer... They are those things that are within the prayer, the pillars of the prayer. So do not confuse between the conditions of the prayer and the pillars of the prayer. The conditions, they start even before the actual prayer and then continue during the prayer. The pillars of the prayer are those that are only within the prayer itself, during it. And that is, for example, the opening takbir, to say Allahu Akbar when you begin the prayer, takbirat al-ihram, also the recitation of Al-Fatiha, the Ruku'ah, the prostration, uh, standing upright when coming out of the Ruku'ah, uh, sitting between the two prostrations. These are some of the different types of the pillars of the prayer. But here what we are discussing are the conditions and the conditions of the prayer 
or sometimes some of them things that begin before the actual prayer itself as a means of preparation to make sure that these certain conditions are in place before the prayer begins. So, based upon that then, having now understood also that there is a difference between the conditions of the prayer and the pillars of the prayer, we are now going to discuss these conditions of the prayer. The shaykh says in brief, we haven't got to the first hadith yet. This is introduction. The shaykh says in the introduction to this chapter that the conditions of the prayer are nine. There are nine conditions. فَشُرُوطُ الصَّلَاةِ كَمَا ذَكَرَ الْفُقَهَاءِ تِسْعَةُ شُرُوطِ There are nine conditions. The first of them, Al-Islam. The first of the conditions for the correctness of the prayer is Al-Islam. The person must be upon Islam. Meaning, if a kafir came and prayed, and he was not somebody who believes in the testification of Tawheed, he doesn't believe in this religion, but he came and he prayed. He memorized the Fatiha, and he memorized the other parts, and he memorized and he learned how to pray properly, and he came and did it. But he doesn't believe in the Shahadatain, he doesn't believe in La ilaha illallah, he doesn't believe in Islam. Then is that prayer of his accurate and acceptable and correct? It is not. So one of the conditions for the prayer to be correct and accurate and accepted is Islam. The second of those, and this is in brief, all of this will come in detail when we get to the actual hadith. This is just an overview. The second one is al-aql, intellect, intellectual capacity, meaning that a person is aware, he is aware, he is conscious, intellectual capacity, meaning a person who did not have intellectual capacity at the time of praying, for example, a person who was mentally disabled, a person who doesn't understand what he's doing, why he's doing it, he doesn't know what the prayer is, then that isn't uh, an, an accurate prayer. So one of the conditions is the aql, the presence of a person's mind. Thirdly, tamiz. A tamiz is the ability to be able to distinguish between affairs. So a child, for example, you have children who do not have tamiz, and you have children who do have tamiz. A tamiz is the ability to distinguish between things. So a child, when he's really young, will not be able to distinguish between fire and water. If you bring some fire, he will put his hand into the fire. He's unable to distinguish. He doesn't know the fire is dangerous. But then a child will get to a certain age when they begin to recognize these things. They recognize that fire is dangerous, and it's hot, and it will burn. And they can recognize that this is a cow, and this is a sheep. When a person is able to distinguish between the affairs, and recognize between the different affairs, that's what they call tamiz. So when a person doesn't have that ability, he doesn't know what a cow is from what a sheep is, he doesn't know what fire is from what water is, he doesn't have any ability to distinguish between affairs, then that is one of the conditions of the prayer. It must be that a person does have that ability. He has the ability to distinguish between the affairs. These first three, Islam and the presence of mind and the ability to distinguish. And often the scholars, they say that the age of distinguishment or the age at which a child has the ability to distinguish this third condition, some of the scholars they say seven years old, some of the scholars they say more, some of them say less, and some of the muhaddithin have mentioned that five years old, even a child of five could have the ability to distinguish. Uh, and often they say that because there is a narration uh, narrated by uh, one of the narrators at the time when he was only five years old. There is a narration narrated by a narrator, Rabi'ah bin Mahmud. He was only five years old at the time when he narrated or the event which he narrates. So the muhaddithin, they said five years old is sufficient because that narration is accepted. It's accepted. So they say five, but that differs. It differs. Maybe a child up to the age of seven, eight might not distinguish sometimes. And maybe a child only two or three, maybe really young, four or five, 
And normally they say it's not really be- below the age of five uh, to have the ability to distinguish. So those three are needed for all acts of worship. Islam, the presence of mind, and this age of distinguishing things. They are needed for all aspects of worship. Uh, so the Shaykh says, وَهَذِهِ الشُّرُوطُ الثَّلَاثَةَ تُشْتَرَطُ فِي كُلِّ الْعِبَادَاتِ يُشْتَرَطُ فِيهَا الْعَاقَلُ وَيُشْتَرَطُ فِيهَا التَّمْيِيزِ إِلَّا الْحَجِّ Hajj is one exception where the ability to be able to distinguish between things is not a condition for a person to be able to do it. When we talk about not being able to distinguish between things, we're talking about young children, two years old, three years old. A child of two or three, if he was to go and make hajj with his parents, is that hajj an accepted act from that child? Is it a worship which is correct and accepted? Is the hajj correct? The hajj is correct. A child two years old, the shaykh says even if he was still breastfeeding, if a child went and did hajj, that hajj is accepted. However, when the child grows up, he must perform it again. Because that hajj which he did, or which she did this child, it is accepted as a hajj, but not as the hajj of their lifetime. The obligatory hajj in the lifetime must be done afterwards, after the age uh, when all the conditions are present. But if a child was to do it before that, the act itself, the hajj, it's correct. And there's narrations about that, uh, about uh, the woman who took the young child, and the Prophet ﷺ said that yes, this it, he has a hajj, that the parents will get the reward as well, and the child itself has that hajj and that act for him recorded too. So they are the first three. Islam, presence of mind, and the ability to distinguish our young children when they get to a certain age. The fourth one is intention. The intention is required for the prayer to be correct and accurate, and that is due to the statement of the Prophet ﷺ, Indeed, actions are by intention. Actions are in accordance to the intention. So an individual must have that intention for the prayer, for it to be correct. The fifth condition is purification. At-tahara. يُشْتَرَطُ لَهَا الطَّهَارَ قَالَ تَعَالَى يَا أَيُّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا إِذَا قُمْتُمْ إِلَى الصَّلَاةِ فَاغْسِلُوا وُجُوهَكُمْ إلى آخر الآية Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned in the Quran that purification is a condition for the prayer to be correct and accepted due to the statement of Allah in Surah Al-Ma'idah, ayah number 6 O you who believe, if you stand for the prayer, when you stand for the prayer, then wash your faces and then it continues, and your arms, and your uh, wipe your heads, and wash your feet. All of that is mentioned in that ayah, Surah Al-Ma'idah, ayah number 6. So this indicates clearly that purification is a condition for the correctness of the prayer. Also there is a hadith, لَا يَقْبَلَ اللَّهُ صَلَاةَ أَحْدِكُمْ إِذَا أَحْدَثَ حَتَّى يَتَوَضَّأَ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not accept the prayer of one of you if you... Uh, break your wudu if you're on a state of non-wudu until you make wudu. The hadith is clear that Allah will not accept the prayer until you make the wudu first. If you're not in a state of wudu, then you must make the wudu before the prayer for it to be accepted. And that's a hadith in Bukhari and Muslim, so that's clear. Purification is a condition for the correctness of the prayer. The sixth one, وَمِن شُرُوطِ صِحَّةِ الصَّلَاةِ سَطْرِ الْعَوْرَةِ Covering the awrah, the awrah meaning that section of the body which is an absolute necessity for it to be covered, for the prayer to be correct. And for the man that is a certain part which we will discuss, and for the women there is a certain part which we will discuss. So for both men and women there are certain parts of their body, and it differs between men and women, we will discuss that. But there are certain parts of their body that they must cover during the prayer for the prayer to be correct. So that is one also. The seventh condition, وَمِن شَرُوطِ صِحَّةِ الصَّلَاةِ دَخُولِ الْوَقْتِ وَهَذَا تَقَدَّمَ فِي الْحَدِيثَ الَّتِي سَبَقَتْ فِي بَابِ الْمُوَاقِيتِ وَالْأَذَانِ One of the conditions also is the entrance of the time. That the time has entered. And that's what we've been discussing in the previous chapter. All of that previous chapter at the beginning was about the times of the prayers. 
مواقيت الصلاة when the times they start when the times they end so one of the conditions of the prayer is the time must have entered you pray in the accurate time if a person comes before the time of dhuhr 10 o'clock in the morning and he wants to pray dhuhr and he prays and he goes that prayer is not correct the condition of the time is missing the time hasn't entered yet so the time must be in its time for the prayer to be accepted or correct and the eighth one ومن شروط صحة الصلاة استقبال القبلة the eighth condition is that a person must be facing the qibla the kaaba must be facing in the correct direction that is one of the conditions of the prayer and that we will come to in detail also during the ahadith and the ninth one is ijtinab najasa that a person must make sure that there is no impurity uh, affecting him his body his clothes the place where he is praying that there is no impurity on that place. He prays upon a place of purity, and that his own body is pure, and that comes under purification, and that his own clothes are pure, that he doesn't have impurity upon his clothes. And similarly, the ground that he prays on doesn't have impurity on it. So the ninth condition is that a person has or prays in a place, and in clothes, and in his own self, in a state of purity where there is no impurity. And the shaykh says these are the conditions of the prayer. Uh, and a person attempts to fulfill all of these conditions to the best of his ability. Um, and if a person was not able to fulfill one of these conditions due to some uh, extreme circumstances, something that prevented him from fulfilling one of them, then the shaykh says, فَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ مَا اسْتَضَعْتُمْ Then uh, the pr- uh, it, would, uh, it would be forgiven for that person, it would drop from that person, because Allah says, fear Allah as much as you are able. So if an individual due to some pressing circumstances was not able to fulfill one of them, then uh, as the shaykh says, فَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ مَا اسْتَضَعْتُمْ From the Qur'an, fear Allah as much as you are able. But again, we'll come to that during the ahadith in more detail, about the times when you may have to forfeit one of these conditions or it's not possible for you to fulfill one of them. So we'll begin with the first hadith after that introduction about the conditions of the prayer. An Ali ibn Talq radiyallahu anhu qal qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam idha fasa ahadukum fi salah falyansarif wal yatawadda wal yu'idi salah rawahu al-khamsa wa sahahu ibn Hibban this hadith is narrated by Ali ibn Talq, al-Yamami al-Hanafi. Um, and he narrates that the Prophet sallallahu said, If one of you breaks wind during the prayer, if one of you breaks wind during the prayer, then leave and make wudu and then come and repeat the prayer. If one of you breaks wind during the prayer, then leave. Leave the prayer, go. Make wudu, then repeat the prayer. And that is a hadith narrated uh, by the five, al-khamsa, from the famous books of hadith. And it is authenticated by Ibn Hibban. So what does this mean then? Al-fasa khuruj al-rih min al-dubr. Meaning that if a person breaks wind, then the hadith indicates the person needs to leave the prayer. Because if a person breaks wind then that is consensus between the scholars that this breaks your wudu. Breaking wind by consensus of the scholars is a nullifier of the wudu. فَإِذَا حَصَلَ مِنْهُ خُرُوجُ الرِّيحِ وَهُوَ فِي الصَّلَاةِ بَطَلَتْ صَلَاتُهُ So if wind breaks from him during the prayer, his prayer is falsified. لِأَنَّهُ انْتَقَضَ وُضُوءُهُ Because his wudu has now been nullified. فَيَجِبُ عَلَيْهِ أَنْ يَنْصَرِفَ وَلَا يَسْتَمِرَّ فِي الصَّلَاةِ then it becomes obligatory upon that person to leave the prayer, to leave, to go, and not to continue if wind breaks during the prayer. عَلَيْهِ أَنْ يَتَوَضَّأْ مِنْ جَدِيدٍ It is upon him to make wudu from fresh. وَيُعِيدَ الصَّلَاةَ مِنْ أَوَّلِهَا And to repeat the prayer after he's made the wudu from the beginning. 
The only thing is that this particular hadith, the scholars have mentioned, has some weakness in it. The scholars have mentioned that this particular hadith does have some weakness in it. However, there is another hadith which backs up this narration. And that other hadith is authentic. And that is the narration of Abu Huraira, radiallahu anhu, that the Prophet sallallahu said, إِذَا وَجَدَ أَحَدُكُمْ فِي بَطْنِهِ شَيْئًا فَأَشْكَلَ عَلَيْهِ أَخَرَجَ مِنْهُ شَيْءٍ فَلَا يَنْصَرِفَ حَتَّى يَسْمَعَ صَوْتًا أَوْ يَجِدَ رِيحًا The hadith of Abu Huraira, the Prophet said, If one of you felt something in his stomach, meaning that you felt as if you were about to break wind, you felt something in your uh, torso, in your mid-region, and you felt as if you were about to break wind. And you're not sure. Did you break wind or didn't you? Did it exit or didn't it? You're not sure. You felt, but you weren't sure. Then in that case, the hadith says, do not leave. Don't leave the prayer and go until you hear some sound, which would then indicate that wind has been broken. Or if you smelt something, which would also indicate that wind has been broken. So now that hadith indicates that if you did hear a sound or smell a smell, then you would have to leave the prayer and go. So it backs up what this hadith is saying, that if you break wind during the prayer, and that is by consensus of the scholars, a nullifier of the wudu, then leave the prayer and go and make wudu, then come back and repeat the prayer from the beginning. So what's the point of this narration in this chapter? Because it proves that one of the conditions of the prayer is the purification that a person must be upon a state of purification, must be upon a state of wudu. And that a person who is not upon that state, then his prayer is not accepted, his prayer is not correct. If he hasn't made wudu, he's not upon purification, then he can't pray until he makes the wudu, and becomes uh, upon a state of purification. Uh, Also the hadith indicates, that a person who does that, then he uh, uh, repeats the prayer from the beginning. Not that a person comes back and continues from where he left off. Somebody might think that he started the prayer upon wudu, then after two raka'at, he broke wind. So then he leaves the prayer and makes wudu, and then comes back and he carries on from the third, and just prays another two, for example in dhuhr or asr. He comes back and he just prays another two, thinking I prayed two at the beginning, then my wind broke. So now I'll come back after having made wudu and just finish off another two. That's incorrect. A person comes back and starts from the beginning and prays the whole of the prayer again. There is a hadith though. Uh, There's a hadith which indicates that a person if he was overcome by vomit or he was overcome by nose bleeding or some other affair of this nature and he left the prayer to make wudu. Then when he comes back, the hadith says, he carries on from where he left off. There's a hadith which says that. There is a narration that if a person breaks the prayer and goes and makes wudu and comes back, he carries on from where he left off. But that narration is weak. So bear that in mind, that narration is weak. And the correct position is that a person... Uh, praise the whole of the prayer again, not that he just carries on from where he left off when he broke wind. So that is the first hadith, and that clearly indicates that a person must be upon a state of wudu, and that is one of the conditions for the prayer. The next hadith, عن عائشة رضي الله عنها أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال لا يقبل الله صلاة حائض إلا بخمار رواه الخمسة إلا النساء وَصَحَّهُ بِنِ خُزَيْمَةِ Aisha رضي الله عنها She narrates that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said Allah will not accept the prayer of a ha'id is the word used in Arabic which would indicate somebody upon menstruation a woman upon the state of her period except if she has a face covering meaning a covering that covers her hair and neck the khimar. So the hadith indicates that a woman, her prayer is not accepted unless she has covered her hair and her neck. 
as well as the rest of the body which will come in other narrations, but this is explaining the point of the hair and the neck. Firstly though, we need to explain the hadith says, that Allah will not accept the prayer of a woman who is ha'id, who is upon her period, unless she covers her hair and her neck. How can that be? What's the problem with that? Exactly. So the hadith doesn't mean that then. Ha'id, even though the word in Arabic used is ha'id, which means that normally, here the meaning of it is a woman, a grown woman. A woman who is upon a state of menstruation. She can menstruate. A grown woman. A grown woman, an adult woman past the age of puberty, then her prayer is not correct if she doesn't cover her hair and her neck. And the rest of the body, of course, that must be covered too. We're going to cover that later. But here the point of the hair and the neck. So the woman, uh, the grown woman, the adult woman past the age of puberty. And in fact, the age of puberty, it can be identified by various factors. So how do you know if a person has reached the age of puberty or not? So growth of hair. The growth of hair in certain areas of the body. That indicates puberty. Also, wet dreams. That indicates puberty. Also, what if an individual has not had either of those two? Age of 15. And in fact, for the women, there's the extra one which is menstruating. And some of the scholars even say, there's one more some of the scholars they mention too sometimes. So either it's the growth of hair, in the private regions and other areas, or the wet dream, or the age of 15, or the period occurring for a woman, for a girl, the period starts, that's the age of puberty now. And some of the scholars say, maybe none of those four occur, but there's another way of being able to tell if a particularly a female is at the age of puberty now or not. Some of the scholars, they mention pregnancy. They say it's possible that none of those other four factors may have occurred, but she becomes pregnant instantly from the very first moment. It's possible. But in any case, those are the characteristics of somebody on the age of puberty. So a woman who has gone beyond that age of puberty, an adult woman, then one of the conditions for the prayer, and this is regarding the areas of the body that have to be covered up. One of the conditions for the women is, that the hair and the neck must be covered because that's what khimar is. The khimar here refers to the cloth or the clothing that covers the head and the neck. It covers the head and the neck of the woman. And khimar, this word in Arabic khimar, it indicates covering. That's what it means. Khimar means a covering. Something which covers something is known as khimar or khamar. What's khamar? Alcohol. You can see it's from the very same or similar root word, similar family tree of words in Arabic. So why is alcohol called khamar? What does alcohol cover up? It covers up your mind. When you drink alcohol, it covers up your mind. And a person doesn't realize and know what he's doing anymore. So alcohol, it becomes a covering over the mind. So just like the khimar is a covering for the head and the neck. So... That's what this hadith mentions as one of the conditions that a grown woman, an adult woman, one of her conditions is that she must cover the head and her neck with some type of khimar, some type of clothing or cloth that would cover that area. The hadith would therefore indicate that a young girl before the age of puberty, maybe somebody six, seven, eight, nine years old who is praying with her mother or something, then the young child, it's not a condition for her to have to cover the head and the neck. That a young girl before the age of puberty could pray without uh, necessarily having to cover that up. The condition is for a woman who has reached the age of puberty. After that, it's a condition. And if that condition is missed, then the prayer is inaccurate. Whereas prior to that, if a young girl was praying with her uh, mother or something, then it's possible she could pray without that full covering. 
But obviously, if the young girls are taught to dress in the accurate manner as well, then that is a part of their learning how to pray properly when they grow up. But the point here being the rules. The rule is that if a young girl did pray without that, then that's uh, not a condition for her. After that, عن جابر رضي الله عنه أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال إن كان الثوب واسعا فالتحف به يعني في الصلاة ولمسلم فخالف بين الطرفيه وإن كان ضيقا فاتزر به متفق عليه ولهما من حديث أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه لا يصلي أحدكم في الثوب الواحد ليس على عاتقه منه شيء وعن أم سلمة رضي الله عنها أنها سألت النبي, سألت النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم أتسلي المرأة في درع وخمار بغير إزار قال إذا كان الدرع سابغا يغطي ظهور, يغطي ظهور قدميها أخرجه أبو داود وصححه الأئمة ووقفه وصححه الأئمة وقفه These three ahadith now are all still talking about the condition that we mentioned, the condition of which parts of the body must be covered for the prayer to be correct, for the men and the women. The previous hadith now, we've already mentioned one part of that condition, which is that women must cover their heads and their necks, the, the adult women. Now these hadith are going to give more details of the parts of the body which must be covered as a condition for the prayer to be accepted. So we'll start with the issue of the women, the hadith of Umm Salama. In this hadith, Umm Salama radiallahu anha, she asks the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam that can a woman pray in the khimar, which is going to cover the head and the neck and the, the upper area, the head and the neck area, what dir'a, the dir'a, meaning a cloth which covers the remainder of her body. Some type of what you may call a jilbab or something of that nature, some cloth, some clothing that covers the remainder of her body. Um, and she's not wearing an undergarment for the lower part of the body. Is it okay for a woman to pray in a khimar which is going to cover the head and the neck? And a dir' which is going to cover the remainder of the body, some type of jilbab type of clothing, that is going to cover the rest of the body, even if she's not wearing some underclothes for the lower part of the body. Some type of underclothes, some type of trousers, pants, uh, some other type of uh, whatever, however they are stitched and made as underclothes b- uh, below that jilbab type of clothing. Is that permissible or not? فقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا كان الدرع سابغا يغطي ظهور قدميها If this long piece of clothing, this jilbab, whatever it is, is lengthy and long and it covers the full length of her body and it covers her feet, it covers everything, covers her feet included all the way down and the khimar at the top is covering the head and the neck. So therefore the whole of the woman is covered. The only thing showing is the face. Then in that case the Prophet said it is okay. It is correct. So, it therefore indicates these ahadith put together that upon a woman is to cover the whole of her body, to cover the whole of her body. The khimar covers the head and the neck, and this other type of jilbab or this other type of uh, loose long clothing covers the remainder of her body, including the feet. Therefore indicating that the face is the only part which is left uncovered when a woman prays. That is the correct understanding regarding how a woman prays. So the condition for the woman is to cover the whole of her body in prayer. The only thing that can be left is the face. And that is if a woman was praying in a private place. If a woman was praying out in public somewhere, in some uh, place where men are going to be there too, then she should wear the face covering also. Then she should wear the face covering also. But in a place where it is only women, or it is some private place, then the condition is the condition that the whole of the body must be covered for the woman, except the face. Including the head, including the neck, including the feet, 
All of it must be covered. That therefore indicates that the awrah, the parts of the body that must be covered, are different in the prayer compared to outside of the prayer. Outside of the prayer, the woman should cover her face too, if in the presence of other individuals. But inside of the prayer, it's not a condition. It's not a necessity if a woman was somewhere private and no other male is going to see her, then it wouldn't be a condition to cover the face. لِذَا يَجِبُ سَتْرُ جَمِيعِ جِسْمِهَا عَدَى وَجْهِهَا Therefore a woman should cover all of her body other than her face. سَوَاءً كَانَ مَعَ ثَوْبِهَا إِزَارْ أَوْ لَمْ يَكُنْ Even if she was wearing some under clothes below the jilbab or not, as long as there was some lengthy clothing on top of the whole of her body covering her, then the whole of the body has been covered now. And the head has been covered and that is sufficient to pray in. The hadith indicates therefore that the undergarment wouldn't be a condition. The undergarment wouldn't be a condition. Wearing some other uh, 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 clothes under the jilbab wouldn't be a condition. As long as that top clothing was covering the full body of the woman uh, uh, in the proper fashion, without showing anything, without uh, indicating anything, then it wouldn't be a condition to have to wear something below that. However, no doubt, as the Sheikh mentions, it is far better and more accurate and more perfect to do that. To wear the undergarments or the underclothes or whatever they may be below the jilbab, and then to put that on on top of the jilbab, or to put the jilbab on top of those other clothes. وَإِلَّا فَإِنَّهُ إِذَا لَمْ يَكُنْ هُنَاكَ إِزَارَ فَإِنَّهُ يَكْفِي أَنْ تَسْتُرَ جِسْمَهَا But if that was not done, and some overall clothing was worn over the top, like some type of jilbab, and it covered the full body of the woman, then she could pray, and the prayer would be correct, the condition would have been fulfilled, that the full body has been covered. Even though, as the Shaykh mentions, it is clearly better, and more perfect and complete, to be wearing the clothes below that also. That is regarding the areas of the body that a woman must cover. This would therefore indicate that even the hands should be covered. It would therefore indicate based upon this hadith, as the shaykh says, فَدَلَّ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ الْقَدَمَيْنِ بِنِسْبَ لِلْمَرْأَةِ مِنَ الْعَوْرَةِ الصَّلَاةِ وَكَذَلِكَ الْكَفَّانِ this would indicate that the feet of the woman are to be covered during the prayer, and similarly the hands, similarly the hands the shaykh mentions, and the remainder of the body and the only part which can be left uncovered is the face. That is the condition of the clothing for the woman during the prayer, and for it to be an accurate type of clothing, loose, not something which indicates or shows the shape of the body, etc., the awra, to cover the awra isn't simply to put cloth over it. Covering the awra isn't just to put cloth over it. It is to put a certain type of cloth over it that will not show the awra itself, that private area itself, neither will it show the shape of it. That is also mentioned. So it must be some type of loose clothing that covers the body of the woman completely as a condition for her prayer. Um, after that, with regards to the men, the hadith says that if uh, a person prays in a single garment, if a person was to pray, if a man was to pray in a single garment, a single item of clothing, then if that single item of clothing is loose and wide and spacious, if it was a large item of clothing, a large piece of cloth that he was going to wear, then in that case, In that case, the person should cover himself, his whole body with it. If you imagine like when you do Umrah and Hajj, you have the sheets, the ihram. If an individual... And particularly at the time of the Sahaba, this is something that was well known, that some of them would have very little clothing. Very little clothing, some of them. So now if you imagine one of those sheets, 
you have a large one of those sheets, big size of those sheets. Then in that case, the hadith says, in that case, the hadith says, if it is a large sheet of that nature, then wrap it all around your body. Wrap it from as if you take it from behind and take the right side like a cloak. Take the right side and put it over your left shoulder. Take it from the left side, put it on your right shoulder and cover the whole of your body in that way. بِهِ If however it was a small sheet and that's all you had available, that's all you have there now to be able to pray in. And it's a small sheet, not sufficient to be able to cover and wrap around everywhere. Then the minimum is that a person covers the aura from the navel to the knee, that he covers himself from that lower region of the body. That the man, he wears it at the lower uh, region of his body, from the navel to his knees are covered by it. This is regarding what the man must cover in the prayer. So the condition, the minimum would be that the male must cover between the navel and the knee with this cloth. That he must cover the bottom part of his body from the navel downwards with that cloth if it was small and if it was large to cover the whole of his body from the top. Because covering the lower part, that is obligatory. That is a a must. And if the cloth was larger or he had more clothes available, then to cover the upper half also is something that is good and it is recommended and that should be done. And that is due to Allah saying in the Quran, Ya Bani Adam, Khudu Zinatakum Inda Kulli Masjid. That take or be upon your beauty at the masjid, at the time of prayer. Be upon beautification. And that beautification is that a person covers himself even from the top, that he wears some clothes over the top also. But the minimum if a person was in a state where he had nothing else would be to cover the the aura, the navel to the knee as a minimum. So what does this hadith indicate then as a summary? It indicates that the man also has a specific part of the body that must be covered in the prayer as a condition for the prayer to be correct, and that is the lower half. And it also indicates the mustahab nature, the recommended and the liked nature of covering the top side of the body also, if that was available and possible. And nowadays, alhamdulillah, for most of the people that isn't an issue, that the clothes are available plentifully. So it's required for a person that he covers the top half, as well as the lower half in loose clothing, that doesn't indicate his aura. It's not clothing that is tight as many of the people they pray in extremely tight trousers or jeans. And so if they were go- to go into ruku' or they were to go into sujood, then the shape of the aura is, is blatant for anyone who walks in from behind. So that is not befitting. It is not correct. A person should pray in clothes that are loose so that when you go into ruku' or you go into sujood, then the shape of your aura, that area that must be covered, isn't apparent which it clearly will be if you are wearing tight clothes. And worse than that, perhaps an individual wears these types uh, tight clothes, and he wears something short as his upper clothing, a shirt or a t-shirt. And so, it is apparent what occurs when that person goes into rukur or into sujood, that the lower back becomes apparent and visible. So a person must be careful in the types of clothes that he wears during the prayer to make sure that he is covered adequately. Then there was one other hadith which said that none of you should pray in a single cloth except that you make sure there is some part of that cloth upon your shoulder. Meaning if you are going to pray in a single cloth, then you must make sure that some part of it goes over your shoulder. That's what this hadith indicates. And that is indicating something similar to the previous narration. Because when you combine them, then the shaykh says the meaning of it would be 
that the minimum and the condition is that the lower half is covered. But this hadith indicates like the previous one, if you have more than that, then make sure you have something over your shoulders, i.e. that your upper half of your body is covered too. You have something going over your shoulders, you're covering the upper half of your body, your chest and your back and your shoulders with some type of clothing also. So this is what's required regarding the men, that the navel to the knee must be covered in the prayer as a minimum, and then it is better and preferred, and that is something easy for everyone now, for most people now, uh, uh, that Allah has blessed with that, that you can cover the upper half of the body also, and if an individual was not in that position, and he thanks Allah for the bounties upon him in any case, then he covers the lower half as a minimum. So we'll leave it at that section, because the next ahadith are going to speak about one of the other conditions, which is the direction of the Kaaba. One of the conditions of the prayer is that you must be facing the Kaaba when you pray. And there are some details regarding that. And the next uh, section of ahadith, they're going to speak about that condition of facing the Kaaba uh, as a condition of the prayer. So inshallah ta'ala in two weeks time. We'll begin with that issue and that section regarding the condition of facing the Kaaba uh, in the prayer. Yeah, forgetfulness and all these things, it's going to come inshallah in more detail afterwards. Once we go through the conditions at the end, then they're going to explain about if you forget something or you forget a condition and those types of things. But they'll come as details later on. Once we've gone through what the nine conditions are first, inshallah. Uh, these questions about the Nawafil prayers and the vows that were made, uh, I received these questions earlier, but uh, I was looking for some fatawa. So inshallah, whoever the questioner is, uh, if they can be patient slightly, and I will find the fatawa of the scholars regarding them. But these questions, they have come to me before. Inshallah, I will find the fatawa of the scholars on them, and then pass them on to the one who questioned about them, inshallah. <laughs> Correct. Condition of the prayer that everything must be covered. It's not about because there's a difference. There's a difference about a woman covering herself in terms of what people can see of her, and a difference between what she has to cover in the prayer. In the prayer, when we say she has to cover her feet, it's not because somebody might see her. That's irrelevant. This is a condition for the sake of a condition of the prayer itself. Whether somebody's going to see her or not, that's irrelevant. These conditions are what she has to cover in the prayer. Because otherwise you could say if she's in the privacy of her home, she can just pray in whatever. It's only her husband and whoever else. Don't have to cover anything. Why do you even have to cover your hair then? So it's not about who's going to see you or what. These are conditions for the accuracy of the prayer. So she has to cover all of those. And this is what the scholars have mentioned. Yes, there are some... Uh, differences that scholars mention about maybe the hands and maybe the feet and sometimes those issues are discussed but this is what the shaykh mentions in accordance to this hadith that the whole of the body of the woman should be covered yeah you then you don't know if you've broken wind if you can't smell anything, you didn't hear anything, then, uh, then you're not really sure. This is just whispers coming to you that maybe you broke wind, maybe you didn't. Then in that case, the hadith says, in that case, don't do anything. Don't leave your prayer and go. But if you hear a sound or you hear or you smell some smell, and then you know that you've broken wind for definite. It's not just doubts. In that case, break the prayer or leave the prayer. Your prayer is finished now anyway. Then go and make the wudu and come back and repeat it. But if none of that happens... Then it's doubts that the shaitan is putting into you, so don't follow that.
من Can you pray with a shoulder abaya with sleeves? Uh, I don't know what the description of that is, but if it's a type of clothing which covers the whole of the body, then okay. Anything that covers the whole of the body. Something loose, a loose garment that covers the whole of the body of a woman. So if this particular garment, it covers the, uh, the whole of the body of the woman, uh, and even if it has sleeves, as long as they are loose also, uh, and they are covering the arms, and the rest is covering the body, then it's okay, sufficient. If wudu is made, but not in a proper way, is salah accepted? Then that really uh, depends on what is being spoken about, not in a proper way. What, uh, what, what is meant by not in a proper way? If one of the, the pillars of the wudu, one of the conditions of the wudu are missed, then that isn't an accurate wudu. But there are certain things that you can do in wudu, that even if you uh, did them in an incorrect way or in a way that is contrary to what is mentioned, it's still acceptable. For example, when a person makes the wudu, so you wash the nose, the mouth, you wash the face. Then after that, after you, wa- you do the nose, the mouth and the face, then after that what do you do? The arms, which one do you start with? Right, what if somebody started with the left? After washing the nose and the mouth and the face... Then they started washing their left arm and hand up to their elbow. Then they went to their right arm and hand. And then they did the wiping on the feet and they went and prayed. Then what do you say about that? It's acceptable. That wudu is okay. It's in contradiction to what's been mentioned in the sunnah. That the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet ﷺ used to love to start with the right side. So it's more befitting and correct and in accordance to the sunnah to start with the right side. But if a person forgot or for whatever reason ended up doing the left hand first and the left foot first, that wudu is still correct. The wudu is still correct. And you could still pray. So it depends on what's meant by not wudu, not done wudu in a proper way. If it's those types of things that do not dictate that the wudu is falsified, then it's okay. The prayer would still be acceptable. But the wudu wouldn't be the proper wudu where all the hadith have been mentioned that if a person does the isbah of the wudu he does the proper complete accurate wudu then this reward and that reward and this sin forgiven and that sin forgiven that will be with the proper accurate wudu in accordance to the sunnah but if these certain types of things are done within it the left instead of the right first then that wudu is still accurate but if the question means you forget to wash the feet for example then you haven't even made wudu So it depends on what's meant by not done in a proper way. But those lessons on wudu as well, you know, we started here on the chapter of the prayer. Uh, And Bulugh al-Maram itself as a book, as a whole, even though here we we didn't intend to do it as a whole. Here our objective was to go through the issue of the prayer. But the issue of wudu and those chapters, they've been done as well. Just like these lessons, and they're available on uh, uh, learnaboutislam.co.uk. The website learnaboutislam.co.uk and maybe even on Basira now. They're available, those lessons on wudu and purification from this book itself. So maybe you can revise that as well and look at those lessons. Inshallah, we'll mention that next time. About the hands and the feet, some of the scholars they mention. We'll mention that in more detail next time as well, about the hands and the feet. Well, covering the face, uh, as you know, that's another issue uh, which is uh, is different about the obligation of it or not. Alhamdulillah. It, yeah, yeah, but covering the face, is it an obligation? Is it uh, mandatory that if a person, if a woman didn't do it, she's a sinner? Or is covering the face something which is highly recommended and the women should do it? But if a woman didn't do it, she isn't a sinner though. Which of the two is the correct ruling on it? That's different about between the scholars. No, but that's what I mean then. In, in that case, it depends on that ruling. If you say that the ruling is the woman must cover her face, and that is awrah in front of other people, in front of non-mahram men, and she's a sinner if she doesn't, then in that case, everywhere, Makkah, whatever it is, you must cover the face. 
when praying. But if uh, the opinion was taken that it's uh, like Sheikh Albani and other scholars, where they say that you should still cover your face, it's a mistake when people say, Sheikh Albani and the scholars say that women don't have to cover their faces. Nobody said that. Sheikh Albani and the scholars didn't say it like that. They said, the scholars who mentioned this opinion, that the ruling of a woman having to cover her face, they believe isn't uh, uh, wajib. It's not an obligation that you are a sinner if you don't do it. But you should still do it. So all of the scholars are agreed that a woman should cover her face. They're all agreed on that. But they just differed on the final part of the ruling. If she doesn't do it, then what's the ruling? Some of the scholars, haram. Some of the scholars, it's mustahab. So if she doesn't do it, then it's not a sin as such. But therefore, really, really in Mecca, Medina, these other places, wherever it might be, a woman should cover her face when going there into those places, into the masjid, praying. Her face should be covered. On either opinion, whether even if you say you're taking Sheikh Al-Bani's opinion, Sheikh Al-Bani didn't say women should go out uncovered. He didn't say that. He just said the ruling is different to what some of the other scholars mentioned in terms of the obligation. He still said women should cover their faces when they go out. Correct, that's it, that's it. So when she covers, for example, praying in Mecca or some other place like that where there are other people, she's covering her face, not because that's specifically a condition of the prayer, because now that's a condition of her aura to other men. So for that reason. So khalas, when you're praying, you can still cover yourself. Uh, whichever way. You know, these clothings, they have certain types of clothings now that are made. But here in the time of the Sahaba, that's why these ahadith, they speak about pieces of cloth. These ahadith are talking about pieces of cloth. If you only find one piece of cloth, then how do you pray? Nowadays, most people don't even understand that. Nowadays, it's all clothes. Everyone has clothes and wardrobes full of clothes. But whichever you have, whatever way you have, it's about how and which parts need to be covered. Whatever type of uh, garment or clothing that might be, stitched or not stitched, it's got sleeves on it, hasn't got sleeves on it, but if it is covering those aura parts, then it's sufficient. You know, you said that a man has to have his aura covered from the belly button to the knee inside the prayer. Is it permissible to have your aura not covered, for instance, outside the prayer, for instance, like you want to go swimming or something? Is it permissible to wear the shorts where they don't, where they don't cover the belly button? No, that's a minimum. A person should cover that minimum. That's outside the prayer too. That's, some of the scholars, they used to say, it's mentioned, an opinion. That for the male, it is only from the belly button to the upper thigh. But the better opinion and the stronger opinion is from the belly button to the knee. That's what a lot of the scholars say for the aura of the man. So even when you go swimming in these places, you should be covered to that level as a minimum. Yeah, yeah, I think you're going to jump ahead now. Facing the Qibla, traveling, everything is going to be next time, inshallah. Traveling, and if you're, a, if you're praying nawafil prayers, and if you're traveling and you can't work out where the Kaaba is, all of that is the next section, inshallah. And nowadays, alhamdulillah, these iPhones, everything, put it down, the compass comes on. In the prayer itself, I don't know specifically about the prayer, but generally speaking, a woman should wear outside, for example, dark clothing. It's not an obligation for it to have to be black, but something dark. Something that isn't going to attract the attention of others. That's the general principle. Yeah, bright reds and yellows, they, they shouldn't be worn. A woman shouldn't say, look, this is a loose, wide jilbab, loose, wide khimar, but it's bright pink. That wouldn't be correct because you're still attracting the attention of others. So the point of it is to be something that is not going to attract the attention of others. Even if it wasn't necessarily black, it's not a condition. A very dark green, a very dark blue, a very dark uh, whatever other color. As long as it's dark, it's not going to attract the attention of the people. And obviously black is the best one. That is going to be the, the least attractive. 
No, for, uh, for the men, uh, for clothing, you know, clothing is another chapter, in fact, in Bulugh al-Maram later on. There's another chapter about clothing and what you're allowed to wear and what you're not allowed to wear. Men as well, they should wear clothes. There are different things that are mentioned. So, for example, you wear clothes that are uh, in accordance to the customs of the people. Wear clothes that are in accordance to the customs of the people, for example. Wear clothes, there are things mentioned, like men shouldn't wear pure red. Pure red, where there's no other colors on it. Because there's a hadith where the Prophet wore a red item of clothing, but there were some black stripes in it. But pure red, for example, is mentioned, men shouldn't wear. And other types of clothes that are tight, and those types of things you shouldn't wear. So men should wear modest types of clothing that cover their aura. They're not things that make you stick out. Libas al-shuhra as they call them. Clothing that makes you stick out. Stick out in the crowd, some type of trendy fashion, whatever it might be. Something makes you stick out in the people. That type of clothing isn't recommended in Islam. Secondly, the raising of the lower garment above the ankle. So that's only for men then. Yeah, the raising of the lower garment above the ankles is for men. And that's an obligation for men inside of the prayer, outside of the prayer, with arrogance, without arrogance. It's an obligation for the prayer in all circumstances. And the covering of the feet for women, is that a, a separate clothing for the... Not necessarily. It doesn't have to be. The hadith here it mentioned. It can be that. That's what the hadith said. The hadith said if you have the clothing, the long garment, and it covers all the way down to the feet, it's sufficient. It doesn't necessarily have to be some socks or something separate. If it's something going down and long and it's going to cover, and they're not going to become exposed, it's okay, as long as they're covered. And that's the same condition for the hands. Because it could be the same, something, just long item of clothing that is covering them, it's okay. As long as they're covered. It's not a condition, they have to be gloves, for example. The point is to have them covered. But that we'll mention in more detail, inshallah, next time, about the hands and the feet. Inshallah. Well, you're right. Uh, if they're extremely tight, but uh, with the 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 way that the normal clothes are, they will they come to a slightly longer length anyway, and that probably would be better if they were slightly lengthier to cover them a little bit more as well. You're right. So perhaps you could have some item of clothing that you wear on top at the times of the prayers. Uh, some uh, there's a question that was given to Sheikh Bin Baz specifically on that. People who go to work and they have to wear certain types of trousers. Even then, you should still. It's not an excuse just because I go to work then I have to wear tight trousers. They wear trousers that are still loose and try to get something as loose as possible. But then the Sheikh was asked, and he said, yes, you can pray in your trousers as long as they are loose. So if they are not, and you shouldn't really be wearing trousers that are tight anyway, try to make them as loose as possible. But if it's not possible and they're not that loose, then maybe have some other item you can wear on top during the prayer. On top of that, for years there's been medical advice, and the doctors will probably know about it, that tight trousers, they cause certain medical issues that can arise for men in the certain regions. So uh, that's something that medically they've been saying for years anyway. So we'll conclude upon that and carry into it, inshallah.